Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. Today is Christmas Eve, the 24th of December 2022. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net, the webalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com and on social media, Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw, Truth Social, Success Alchemist and on Telegram, US UK Patriot. And as I said, today is Christmas Eve. So we want to start by wishing everybody a very Merry Christmas if you celebrate it and a happy holidays if you don't. And the title of today's show is Carrie Lake Lawsuit, Omnibus Bill Abomination, Twitter Files 8 and January 6th criminal referral. And I'm going to start with the Carrie Lake lawsuit. Um, this news is hot off the press. Um, it literally just landed in my inbox a few moments ago. And it's from Trending Politics. Breaking Arizona judge makes final decision on Carrie Lake's election case. The Hill is reporting that an Arizona judge has officially rejected Carrie Lake's attempt to challenge the results of her 2022 midterms loss to Katie Hobbs. And loss is in inverted commas. You can guess why. Here's the scoop from The Hill. An Arizona judge ruled against Carrie Lake in her challenge of Governor-elect Katie Hobbs' Democrat victory dismissing the highest profile case challenging the midterm election results. Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Peter Thompson, following a two-day trial, found that Lake had not proven that election officials committed intentional misconduct sufficient to change the race's outcome. Lake, who lost to Hobbs by about 17,000 votes, had alleged election officials in Maricopa County intentionally sabotaged her victory by causing election day printer malfunctions and violating chain of custody procedures. The judge made this ruling despite election officials admitting that 42% of the ballots were improper and that the printers were altered on election day. This is a huge loss for voter integrity. Lake is likely to appeal this decision, but the system appears to be too corrupt to overturn. This is a developing story. Stay tuned for more. So sickening uh, decision by the judge. Um, if you've been following it, you'll know that there was plenty of uh, evidence provided and, and no credible defence evidence uh, provided by the Maricopa County Elections team. And um, I'm going to cover some of the evidence that was shared during the course of the trial, just so you can judge for yourself whether you think that this decision by the judge is reasonable or not. So this is from Trending Politics. Carrie Lake trial reveals 42.5% of randomly examined ballots were improper. According to Republican governor candidate Carrie Lake's legal team, 42.5% of examined ballots in Maricopa County for the 2022 governor's race were illegitimate. Lake's trial began on Wednesday where she is attempting to prove that wide-scale fraud took place in Maricopa County on election day. The Lake War Room tweeted on Wednesday that 48 of the 113 ballots that were reviewed during examination were, quote, 19-inch ballots produced on 20-inch paper, end quote. This one-inch discrepancy caused chaos on election day, causing the mass rejection of these votes as they were attempted to be read through the tabulators, the Carrie Lake War Room tweeted. In a separate tweet, the Lake War Room wrote, 
This is how they disenfranchised Maricopa County voters on election day. The ballots were designed to be unable to be read through the machines. This wasn't an error, it was malice. The process worked exactly as they intended it to do. One commenter on Twitter noted that there was no way the improper ballot size could have been because of error. The expert testified there are only two ways for the 19-inch image to have been projected onto the 20-inch ballot, which would cause tabulator errors. Both methods require an administrator to change. This could not have happened by chance or error. It was fraud. The late war room added context with video footage of the trial. The co-elections director for Maricopa County refuses to accept responsibility for the county-wide failures on election day, falsely asserts the people impacted by problems at voting centres could simply go somewhere else. It's not that easy, but he knows that. And the post-millennial reported the race between Hobbs and Lake was decided by less than 18,000 votes, with the Democratic candidate winning 1,287,891 votes to Lake's 1,270,774. The counts put forward by Lake's team contest her loss. Most counts were thrown out by Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Peter Thompson, with eight being tossed while two counts were allowed to proceed. Those counts deal with alleged intentional misconduct. Lake told Turning Point USA's America Fest on Tuesday that this marked a huge win for her legal team, saying, We've got great news. We're taking these bastards to, dr- to trial, adding that Hobbs would take the stand in the trial. It was later announced by Lake's attorneys that they had withdrawn the subpoena for Hobbs to testify. Maricopa County wants you to believe that they are so incompetent that all of the problems on election day can be written off as mistakes. Would that make it any better? Is the election better run by clowns and not crooks? This was no accident and we're done with the circus. The Lake War Room would go on to tweet. Then Wall Street Journal reports Carrie Lake trial Maricopa County's expert witness didn't even see one ballot in bombshell admission. And this was from the 23rd. If you listen to the left, you'd think Carrie Lake's legal team got destroyed in the courtroom on Thursday. Lake, the GOP Arizona gubernatorial candidate, lost by a count of 17,000 votes in a midterm election plagued by irregularities and delays in in in-person voting. She's challenging the results, and as KVOA TV reports, the fate of that challenge is now in the hands of a Maricopa County judge. While these challenges are long shots to begin with, if just because of how the system works, lefty site Raw Story was convinced an expert witness called by Maricopa County destroyed Carrie's Lake's case in less than 60 seconds. An expert witness called by lawyers representing Maricopa County on Thursday ripped apart defeated Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake's case to overturn the election in just one minute the story began. That witness, University of Wisconsin political science professor Kenneth Mayer, in quotes, destroyed her case thusly. My high-level response is that all the claims that were made in the complaint about the effects of voter wait times, the claims of disenfranchisement, claims about a disproportionate effect on Republicans and their voters, that they are all based on pure speculation, he claimed. There's simply no data to support any of those claims, and there's quite a bit of data that suggests this did not happen. Oh, snap. Well, this just proves the entire thing is a farce, right? I mean, he's an expert. That's how you get to be called an expert witness, after all. And if there's one thing to know, it's that you need to trust the experts. Even if that expert, according to Carrie Lake's official campaign account, reviewed absolutely no data about plaintiff's claims on signature verification before writing his report and submitting it to the court. Oh, and that's not all. Did Mayor inspect signature verification on Maricopa County ballots? Negative. Does he have, despite his full-throated defence of voting machines and tabulators in Maricopa County, any expertise in technology matters? Nope. 
the account reported? Was he even in Maricopa County on election day to witness the chaos firsthand? Of course not. And why is this important? Mayer admitted in his testimony that election day voting favoured Republicans by 70%. Furthermore, Maricopa County's expert wrote his report based on, wait for it, what he was told by Maricopa County officials, apparently. Nor is Kenneth Mayer a disinterested party. Maricopa County apparently picked as its expert an extremely woke man who has tweeted about his contempt for former President Donald Trump and the GOP. While the Mayer tweet thread retweeted by the Carry Lake War Room was locked down as of Friday morning, as indeed was his entire account, an archived version shows exactly who he is. In my spring 2019 presidency syllabus, I noted how the public viewed Trump. After describing why his supporters liked him, I wrote, To others, he is a spectacularly unqualified and catastrophically unfit egomaniac who poses an overt threat to the Republic, Mayor wrote in a thread after the January 6, 2021 Capitol incursion. Now this same president has incited a violent insurrection and coup attempt in an effort to remain in power after losing an election. It resulted in the murder of a Capitol Police officer and the desecration of the US Capitol, he continued. I wonder if those critics in the state legislature would now like to retract their claims that I was indoctrinating my students and apologise for trying to get me fired. I'm not holding my breath. So, in other words, the destructive testimony of Mayer can best be summed up this way. We brought experts who are familiar with the machines, ballots, chain of custody and the math behind elections, the late war room account said. Maricopa County brought a woke college professor who has opinions on stuff. After closer examination, Maricopa County's expert is a college professor from Wisconsin with no background in statistics or election work, it added. He's just a guy with a degree who doesn't like Trump and writes about politics. We are baffled that the defendants chose this man. So beyond those 60 seconds of utter destruction Raw Story was so giddy about, this expert testimony was an embarrassment. But then what do you expect? The media called Carrie Lake a denier throughout the campaign and shrugged when in-person voting, which overwhelmingly favours Republicans in Arizona's largest county, went haywire on election day. Now, as always, the establishment fix is in. And that's perfectly true because of the judge's decision. And then to add insult to injury, uh, Maricopa County attorney argues that voters who wait until election day to vote then encounter problems. They reap what they sow. And this is from redstate.com. During day two of the Carry Lake election trial in Phoenix, Arizona, Maricopa County attorney Tom Liddy argued that it was political malpractice for a campaign to tell voters to vote in person on election day instead of voting early and that you reap what you sow, meaning that Lake's campaign lost because of strategy, not because of a printer malfunction error that rendered the ballots incapable of being machine read, long lines that led to voters as being unable to vote or other malignantly incompetent actions on behalf of Maricopa County officials. Now playing devil's advocate, it may well be that even with all of the malignant incompetence on behalf of the county, that Hub still won. However, for a county attorney to excuse all of that away with references to those who want answers as election deniers who shouldn't have any expectation of working voting machines on election day is reprehensible. During his closing argument, Liddy said, but those errors or those mishaps by machines, if you will, the effect that had on election day voters was compounded, Your Honour, not by intentional misconduct by any employee or anybody under the control of Maricopa County, but by months and months and months of communication from the current leadership of the Republican Party of Arizona and the communication specialists of the Carry Lake for Governor campaign that said, do not vote early. Even if you got an early ballot, don't mail it, don't drop it off at the drop box. 
2,000 mules go on election day and vote in person. And Lord forbid, don't ever put your ballot in the drop box, in the ballot box or in drawer number three, because there's something very scary about drawer number three, which is nothing but a ballot box. That's what people all over the world do with their ballots. Vote it and stick it in the ballot box. But people were terrorised by that on election day. That's not on Maricopa County. That's on the Cary Lake for Governor campaign. That's on the Dr Kelly Ward-led Arizona Republican Party communications apparatus. So we did not see two days of testimony and all of those affidavits came in, evidence of a botched election. We saw evidence of a botched campaign, political malpractice. Who goes out and tells their voters don't vote on day one of early voting, day two, day three, all the way up to day 26 of early voting? Wait until the last second. That's political malpractice. You reap what you sow. Your Honour, the burden has not been met. When people come into this courtroom without evidence, there should be a day of reckoning. And this has been happening all over the country, Your Honour, and it's got to stop. And it's got to stop right now. And the place to stop it is right here in your courtroom, Your Honour, right here in Mesa, Arizona. This has got to stop. We've got to get back to respecting elections because that's all we have, Your Honour. Different religions, different creeds, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. There's only one thing that makes us Americans. And that's we believe in choosing our own election, our own rulers, our own governors, our own mayors, our own presidents. And we do that through elections. Uh, Before the article continues, I just want to say this is their attitude that... We're choosing rulers, whereas we are actually choosing representatives. But that policy or that concept seems to have gone out of the window with these people. They think they can control everything and everyone. Anyway, continuing, he's got a slightly warped understanding of what makes us Americans and an even more warped view of what we're voting for when we cast our ballots but we'll set all that aside for a moment. What exactly does counsel mean by without evidence? Simply because he doesn't agree with the evidence doesn't mean that there is no evidence. On Wednesday, we learnt that a printer setting error caused 42.5% of 113 ballots examined by Lake's team to be invalid because they were 19-inch ballots produced on 20-inch paper. On Thursday, we learn more about that issue. Scott Jarrett admitted under oath that the ballot fit to print issue was known and is being investigated, but Maricopa County never informed the public. We also learn that the ballot on demand printers, which they have to use because people from throughout the county can vote at any vote centre, had issues on election day and that the county's root cause analysis has not been completed as of this time. And we learn that the printer setting changes that caused the shrink to fit issue were enacted on election day. And it shows a tweet from Carrie Lake. Attorney Kurt Olson, is it your testimony that the printer set changes that led to the so-called shrink to fit issue was that done on election day? Maricopa County Elections Director Scott Jarrett, that's correct. And just as another aside, they're supposed to have fully tested these um, machines prior to voting day or prior to election day. So... How come they were able to change the settings so that all these errors occurred? Anyway, continuing. Is there no way that they could have figured out sometime during the 12 hours the polls were open? The issue was noted almost immediately after polls opened. This is just one small part of what came out during the trial. As far as the Hobbs Maricopa County team, their main expert is a professor at the University of Wisconsin who relied on the accuracy of the data that Maricopa County gave to him and wasn't even in Maricopa County on election day. Well, of course, the data that they gave the expert is going to say what they want it to say. Why wouldn't it? Without any independent investigation of the accuracy of that evidence, there's no way to have confidence in a single conclusion the expert drew. 
Closing arguments wrapped up around 5.30pm Arizona time and Judge Peter Thompson informed the parties he will take the matter under advisement and issue a ruling forthwith. Editors note, Republican voters deserve answers and accountability for the failed red wave. So the result is extremely disappointing, I have to say, but on the whole, not surprising. You know, all this cover up, this denial of voter fraud is um, appalling, abominable. Um, There is a piece of good news. Um, GOP AG candidate gets huge news in court. Election case allowed to proceed on four counts. And this is from the Western Journal, published um, Thursday. Republican Arizona Attorney General candidate Abe Hamaday earned a big win in the Mojave County courts on Tuesday that could pave the way for a dramatic trial. Hamaday, who lost to Democrat Chris Mays by a meagre 511 votes in the November midterm elections, will have his day in court on Friday, according to court documents obtained by Democracy Docket. Mojave County Superior Court Judge Lee Jansen dismissed only one of five counts presented by Hamaday's legal team. The dismissed count pertains to allegations regarding illegal votes and unverified early ballots. The counts moving forward paint a damning portrait of incompetence and malfeasance that could easily lend itself to significantly altering a 5-1-1 vote victory. The first count of the election challenge specifically targets Maricopa County and alleges erroneous count of votes and election board misconduct, wrongful disqualification of provisional and early ballots. The second count also specifically targets Maricopa County and similarly alleges erroneous count of votes and election board misconduct, wrongful exclusion of provisional voters. The third count, which targets multiple election officials, including Mays and Governor-elect Katie Hobbs, alleges erroneous count of votes, inaccurate ballot duplications. The final count moving forward alleges illegal votes and erroneous count of votes, improper ballot adjudications. Given the razor-thin margin in the race, a decision in Hamaday's favour on each of the aforementioned counts could significantly impact the election results. Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake tweeted about his court victory on Tuesday. Want some more good news, Lake said. Abraham Mahamaday's election lawsuit is going to trial. Dismissal failed. The article goes on to talk about Carrie Lake's um, case and then it goes on to say this case is different from those cases, i.e. Hamaday's case is different from Lake's because the plaintiff is not alleging political motives or fraud or personal agendas being pushed. It is simply alleging misconduct by mistake or omission by election officials led to erroneous count of votes and which, if true, could have led to an uncertain result, the judge wrote in his ruling. That being said, Lake's fight is still ongoing. Well, this is out of date now, obviously. So depending on how that trial and Hamaday's trial go, things could look very different for Arizonians from how things looked on November 8th. Well, it'd be interesting to know whether um, the dismissal of, of Kerry Lake's case is going to have an impact on what happens in Hamaday's trial and vice versa, because if Hamaday's trial wins, if Hamaday wins in that trial, then that calls into question the dismissal of the case in Lake's trial. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. So I'm going to move on to do a quick piece on this omnibus bill abomination. Um, This is from Epoch Times and it says, Worst in history, critics rip 1.7 trillion government funding bill. And this was actually published today. In yet another last minute attempt to avoid a government shutdown, both the Senate and the House approved a massive $1.7 trillion spending bill, which has frustrated many, including commentators, policy experts and the general public. 
This bill is further proof that Republicans and Democrats can come together to deliver for the American people, President Joe Biden said in a statement on Friday before signing the bill into law. Some, however, argue that the 4,155-page spending package could not be in people's best interests, especially when most of the members don't know what they're voting on. One of the sharpest critics this year came from the Wall Street Journal editorial board, which wrote an op-ed titled The Ugliest Omnibus Bill Ever on December 20th, after congressional leaders unveiled the $1.7 trillion spending package. This is no way to govern in a democracy, but here we are, the editorial board wrote, calling the spending bill the worst in history. Every year, lawmakers come under fire for using the omnibus to fund the entire government rather than passing regular spending bills on time. They are, in addition, they are criticised for rushing through policy changes via omnibus, many of which require separate votes or could not pass on their own. Major changes in law deserve their own debate and vote. Instead, a handful of powerful legislators wrote this vast bill in a back room the journal's editorial board said. Many lawmakers who supported the bill took victory laps, however, each announcing a different win. Some claimed that the spending deal with lower inflation and generate good-paying jobs. Some praised it for boosting the military, while others supported it for protecting the environment. The measure includes $858 billion in defence spending, a nearly 10% increase over last year that gained Republican backing, and $787 billion in non-defence spending, an increase of nearly 8%. Billionaire Elon Musk, who has recently spoken out on numerous political issues, also commented on the $1.7 trillion omnibus package. Railroading through a giant spending bill that almost no one has read is unlikely to be in the best interests of the people, he wrote on Twitter on December 20th. Musk also created a Twitter poll asking people if the spending bill should be approved. More than 3.1 million Twitter users voted, with 71.2% voting no and 28.8% voting yes. The public has spoken, Musk wrote the next day, mocking Senate leaders Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell. Earmarks. A bipartisan group began meeting behind closed doors weeks ago to draft the huge spending bill that ultimately surpassed last year's omnibus package by 1,500 pages, totalling 4,155. Nonetheless, that does not include everything. As Heritage Foundation policy expert David Ditch noted on Twitter, the legislative text is accompanied by an additional 2,670 pages of explanatory documents, which contain more than 3,200 earmarks, also known as pork projects. Ditch cautioned that members were given only a few days to review the material, which is impossible even with staff aid. Romina Boccia, Director of Budget and Entitlement Policy at the Cato Institute, agreed, noting that even the most diligent members of Congress and their staff would not be able to read through the large spending package. And that's intentional, she explained in a blog. The more time legislators would have to ponder the details of the bill, the more opposition to it would likely arise. Some examples of earmarks included a million dollars for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum in Cleveland, four million dollars for the Covina High School pool and five million for the Upper Columbia United Tribes Salmon Reintroduction Project. Some Republicans and conservative media outlets have also voiced their disapproval of the spending package, claiming that the government is using tax dollars for woke initiatives. Among the projects criticised were $3 million for the American LGBTQ Plus Museum in New York City, $3.6 million for a Michelle Obama Trail in Georgia, 477000 for the Equity Institute in Rhode Island, and $1.2 million for LGBTQIA Plus Pride Centres. 
The choice is clear. The package gives inflation relief to Americans as it provides funding for nutrition programs, housing assistance, home energy costs and college affordability, among other things, according to Senate Appropriations Committee Chairman Patrick Leahy, a Democrat from Vermont. The choice is clear. We can either do our jobs and fund the government or we can abandon our responsibilities without a real path forward, he said in a statement on December 19th. The two retiring senators at the top of the Appropriations Committee, Leahy and Richard Shelby, who's a Republican from Alabama, directed millions of dollars to their home states through earmarks. Shelby obtained more than $762 million for Alabama, while Leahy secured $212 million for Vermont. The spending package also included $47 billion in additional funding to Ukraine, which had broad bipartisan support. It's disgusting, isn't it? However, several House Republicans have criticised the aid, arguing that the funds would be better spent on domestic issues. If an additional $47 billion in Ukraine funding isn't enough for you, the bill also authorises a Ukrainian independence park right here in D.C. Representative Dan Bishop, Republican North Carolina, wrote on December 20th on Twitter. The word Ukraine appeared 96 times in the spending bill. Another popular word was salmon, which appeared 48 times in the bill. The spending package made available $65 million for necessary expenses associated with the restoration of Pacific salmon populations. The bill also included, wait for it, $410 million for border security in Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia and Oman, which has sparked criticism. What utter insanity that tens of billions are being spent for border security of other countries, but none for ours, Musk wrote on Twitter. So, yeah, absolutely disgusting the way that this t- these taxpayer monies are being frittered away by a, a completely incompetent, corrupt government. And I just want to follow this with a very amusing um, Night Before Christmas rendition by Senator Rand Paul. I hope the sound comes through okay. Twas the week before Christmas, and through the Senate and House, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The earmarks were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The senators were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of pork danced in their heads. No budget was found, just mischief and debt, while the taxpayers hung their poor heads and wept. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, senators sprang from their oxygen. What was the matter? Away to the window they flew like a flash, tore open the shutters when they heard the word cash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a 4,000-page omni with endless debt year after year. With a little old driver, so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now McConnell, now Schumer, now Pelosi and Vixen, on Biden, on Stupid, on Dumber and Blitzen, to debt, to bankruptcy, to free money for all. Now dash away, dash away, more cash for all. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As the economy threatened to run aground, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of earmarks he had flung on his back, an appropriator's dream opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. This spending season, instead of naughty and nice, Santa brought everyone something, regardless of price. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head, he said not to worry, there's always the Fed. 
He spoke not a word and went straight to his work. Undeterred by the debt, he turned with a jerk. For naughty Pentagon that lost billions last year, a fat stocking with extra cash and cheer. And don't forget a delicious candy cane, sweet with $40 billion to tide over Ukraine. Because of the climate, it's not PC to leave coal. No one seems to care because we're trillions in the hole. Don't worry about leaving the budget a mess. Democrats have given you 87,000 agents of the IRS. So St. Nick laid his finger aside his nose and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, his economist agog, numbing the pain with a cup of eggnog. Up and away through the, through the countries in tatters, free stuff for all, sky-high prices don't matter. His last words as the wind lifted his sleigh, if people lack money, just print, it's okay. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, happy bankruptcy to all, and to all a good night. And then in view of what this uh, government is doing, I just had to play this uh, video from Twitter, actually. And it says, reporter goes savage on Biden. And I don't know who the reporter is. I don't know where which newspaper he's from. It doesn't say that, but this is worth a million dollars. You just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And may God have mercy on your soul. So there you have it. Uh, Says it all. It definitely um, rounds it up into a great assessment of Biden's abilities to communicate. And now on to Twitter Files Part 8. And this is from the Gateway Pundit on the 20th. Breaking Twitter Files Part 8, how Twitter quietly aided the Pentagon's covert online PSYOP campaign. Elon Musk's Twitter Files Part 8 was released on Tuesday afternoon by journalist Lee Fang. Part 8, how Twitter quietly aided the Pentagon's covert online PSYOP campaign. Despite promises to shut down covert state-run propaganda networks, Twitter docs show that the social media giant directly assisted the U.S. military's influence operations. And this is quoting directly from the Twitter thread, by the way. Two, Twitter has claimed for years that they make concerted efforts to detect and thwart government-backed platform manipulation. Here is Twitter testifying to Congress about its pledge to rapidly identify and shut down all state-backed covert information operations and deceptive propaganda. And it shows a screenshot um, State-backed information operations, combating attempts to interfere in conversations on Twitter remains a top priority for the company and we continue to invest heavily in our detection, disruption and transparency efforts related to state-backed information operations. Our goal is to remove bad faith actors and to advance public understanding of these critical topics. Twitter defines state-backed information operations as coordinated platform manipulation efforts that can be attributed with a high degree of confidence to state-affiliated actors. State-backed information operations are typically associated with misleading, deceptive and spammy behaviour. These behaviours differentiate coordinated manipulative behaviour from legitimate speech on behalf of individuals and political parties. Whenever we identify inauthentic activity on Twitter that meets our definition of an information operation and which we are able to confidently attribute to actors associated with the government, 
We share comprehensive data about this activity. Three, but behind the scenes, Twitter gave approval and special protection to the US military's online psychological influence ops. Despite knowledge that Pentagon propaganda accounts used covert identities, Twitter did not suspend many for around two years or more. Some remain active. Four, in 2017, a U.S. Central Command CENTCOM official sent Twitter a list of 52 Arab language accounts we use to amplify certain messages. That's in quotes. The official asked for priority service for six accounts, verification for one and whitelist abilities for the others. The same day CENTCOM sent the list, Twitter officials used a tool to grant a special whitelist tag that essentially provides verification status to the accounts without the blue check, meaning they are exempt from spam stroke abuse flags, more visible stroke likely to trend on hashtags. Six, the CENTCOM accounts on the list tweeted frequently about U.S. military priorities in the Middle East, including promoting anti-Iran messages. Promotion of the Saudi Arabia-U.S. backed war in Yemen and accurate, in quotes, U.S. drone strikes that claim to only hit terrorists. CENTCOM, this is seven, CENTCOM then shifted strategies and deleted disclosures of ties to the Twitter accounts. The bios of the accounts changed to seemingly organic profiles. One bio read Euphrates Pulse. Another used an apparent deep fake profile pic and claimed to be a source of Iraqi opinion. Eight, one Twitter official who spoke to me said he feels deceived by the covert shift. Still, many emails from throughout 2020 show that high-level Twitter executives were well aware of DOD's vast network of fake accounts and covert propaganda and did not suspend the accounts. Nine, for example, Twitter lawyer Jim Baker mused in a July 2020 email about an upcoming DOD meeting that the Pentagon used poor tradecraft in setting up its network and were seeking strategies for not exposing the accounts that are linked to each other or to DOD or the USG. 10. Stacia Cardeal, another Twitter attorney, replied that the Pentagon wanted a skiff and may want to retroactively classify its social media activities, quote, to obfuscate their activity in this space, and that this may represent an overclassification to avoid embarrassment, end quote. In several, 11, in several other 2020 emails, high-level Twitter executives stroke lawyers discussed the covert network and even recirculated the 2017 list from CENTCOM and shared another list of 157 undisclosed Pentagon accounts, again, mostly focused on Middle East military issues. 12. In a May 2020 email, Twitter's Lisa Roman emailed the DOD with two lists. One list was accounts previously provided to us and another list Twitter detected. The accounts tweeted in Russian and Arabic on US military issues in Syria stroke ISIS and many also did not disclose Pentagon ties. 13. Many of these secretive U.S. military propaganda accounts, despite detection by Twitter as late as 2020, but potentially earlier, continued tweeting through this year, some not suspended until May 2022 or later, according to records I reviewed. 14. In August 2022, a Stanford Internet Observatory report exposed a U.S. military covert propaganda network on Facebook, Telegram, Twitter and other apps using fake news portals and deep fake images and memes against U.S. foreign adversaries. And it's got a link to public-assets.grafica.com. 15. The U.S. propaganda network relentlessly pushed narratives against Russia, China and other foreign countries. They accused Iran of threatening Iraq's water security and flooding the country with crystal meth and of harvesting the organs of Afghan refugees. 16. 
the Stanford report did not identify all of the accounts in the network, but one they did name was the exact same Twitter account CENTCOM asked for whitelist privileges in its 2017 email. I verified via Twitter's internal tools. The account used an AI-created deep fake image. 17. In subsequent reporting, Twitter was cast as an unbiased hero for removing a network of fake user accounts promoting pro-Western policy positions. Media covering the story described Twitter as evenly applying its policies and proactive in suspending the DoD network. 18. The reality is much more murky. Twitter actively assisted CENTCOM's network going back to 2017 and as late as 2020 knew these accounts were covert stroke designed to deceive to manipulate the discourse a violation of Twitter's policies and promises. They waited years to suspend. 19. Twitter's comms team was closely in touch with reporters working to minimise Twitter's role. When the Washington Post reported on the scandal, Twitter officials congratulated each other because the story didn't mention any Twitter employees and focused largely on the Pentagon. 20. The conduct with the US military's covert network stands in stark contrast with how Twitter has boasted about rapidly identifying and taking down covert accounts tied to state-backed influence operations, including Thailand, Russia, Venezuela and others since 2016. 21. Here is my reported piece with more detail. I was given access to Twitter for a few days. I signed, stroke, agreed to nothing. Twitter had no input into anything I did or wrote. The searches were carried out by a Twitter attorney, so what I saw could be limited, journalist Lee Fang said. And that last tweet has a link to theintercept.com. I don't have time to follow that and pick out any other details, but um, uh, I will share the Gateway Pundit link in the description of the recording. Now, in previous shows, I've shared with you the Twitter files relating to the FBI and their attempt or their instructions to Twitter to censor people on the right, the uh, truthers, whether it's about COVID-19 or the Hunter laptop, etc. And Red State uh, has reported Jonathan Turley and Michael Schellenberger sweep the leg out from under FBI response to Twitter files. This was on Thursday. And, you know, the FBI did give some pretty weak responses to the Twitter files. Uh, Anyway, the article says... The response by the FBI to the damning information in the Twitter files has been less than satisfactory. Their first response suggested that the contacts with the social media platform were all just completely normal contacts, that they weren't asking Twitter to take any action against the Americans who were then subsequently censored. And the quote says the FBI regularly engages with private sector entities to provide information specific to identified foreign malign influence actors, subversive, undeclared, covert or criminal activities. Private sector entities independently make decisions about what, if any, action they take on their platforms and for their customers after the FBI has notified them. End quote. They claim they weren't asking social media or any of the private sector entities they were contacting to, quote, take action, end quote, against anyone. And again, from the FBI, we are providing it so that they can take whatever action they deem appropriate under their terms of service to protect their platform and protect their customers. But we never direct or ask them to take action, the FBI officials said. Yes, let's just ignore the contacts to Twitter flagging people's accounts for action. That's not telling Twitter to do anything. Talk about the gall of saying that and expecting us to buy it. As my colleague Strafe reported, the FBI continued to gaslight with the statement they issued on Wednesday. And it shows a tweet from Greg Price 
breaking, the FBI responds to Elon Musk releasing the Twitter files. It is unfortunate that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. How is quoting what they said to Twitter a conspiracy theory? The whining by the FBI here, given what we've seen so far in the Twitter files, takes the cake. The nerve of them saying quoting them and being concerned about suppression of speech is only about discrediting them. The poor, misunderstood FBI, everyone. Hey, they're just policing your Twitter for election jokes and helping to shut down stories which might hurt the Democrats and Joe Biden. How dare you be upset by that? It's not surprising that people weren't buying it. George Washington Law School professor Jonathan Turley called the FBI's response chilling. It is not clear what is more chilling, the menacing role played by the FBI in Twitter's censorship program or its mendacious response to the disclosure of that role. He declared in a tweet, then continued in a thread. This week saw another FBI quote, nothing to see here, end quote, statement to the Twitter files. Rather than acknowledge the concerns and pledge to work with Congress to guarantee transparency, the FBI is attacking free speech advocates who are raising the concern that Twitter had become an agent of the government in censorship. There are some who would question whether, quote, working every day to protect the American public, end quote, should include censoring the public to protect it against errant or misleading ideas. There was a time when that was not a conspiracy theory. Author Michael Schellenberger, who has been one of the media stroke journalists involved in releasing the Twitter files, also blasted the FBI's spin. Schellenberger said the FBI didn't deny that they had Hunter Biden's laptop since December 2019, so they knew it was real, yet they told Twitter that a hack and leak involving Hunter might occur in October 2020. He also said they were spying on Rudy Giuliani when he gave a copy of the laptop hard drive to the New York Post. Quote, at this point, members of Congress should be extremely concerned that FBI is engaged in a cover-up. End quote. Schellenberger said, he went on, there needs to be an aggressive investigation of the apparent politicisation of the FBI by Congress and perhaps even a special counsel in the DOJ to investigate what happened. Schellenberger also appeared to cite remarks of Republican James Comer of Kentucky, uh, the likely incoming head of the House Oversight Committee, who suggested the way to hold the FBI accountable would be to hold up their money. The Twitter files have confirmed the widespread suspicion that the FBI has behaved inappropriately in its relationship to social media companies, Schellenberger said. Now Congress needs to find out if it also behaved illegally. Holding up the money may be the only way to get any real answers and change. We've already seen from the reports of whistleblowers what chaos the FBI is in, and the Twitter files just add to that exponentially. But instead of calling the FBI to account, the Biden administration is planning to give them an even bigger increase in money in the omnibus bill. That's just one of the many reasons that the Republicans in the House need to throw the brakes on the bill and commit to some real accountability. And on that note, uh, just the news reports, Jordan demands FBI turn over all communications with Twitter as probe of censorship heats up. Republicans take over the House on January 3rd as Chairman Jordan will be able to subpoena the FBI for any of the evidence requesting in the letter that the Bureau doesn't volunteer. This was published yesterday. House Judiciary Committee Republicans, led by incoming Chairman Jim Jordan, demanded Friday that FBI Director Chris Wray turn over records of all communications and payments the law enforcement agency had with Twitter, signalling aggressive investigations of social media censorship next year. Jordan's office said the release of internal files by Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, had unmasked an ongoing surveillance operation that exceeded FBI investigative authorities 
and that resulted in a coordinated misinformation effort between the FBI and Twitter to, to suppress and censor free speech. We are investigating politicization and abuses at the FBI as well as big tech censorship of conservatives online. Jordan and Representative Mike Johnson in, from Louisiana wrote Ray in an oversight letter. Newly released information shows the FBI has coordinated extensively with Twitter to censor or otherwise affect content on Twitter's platform. And so it goes on. I won't read the rest of that, but they're going to be going after the FBI in the new year, which is great news. And um, Brian Cates is reporting on his substack, the Fauci files are the next big step in the Great Awakening. The ground has been prepared. We only need Elon Musk to follow through. Uh, for two weeks now, new Twitter CEO and owner Elon Musk has been teasing the release of what has come to be known as the Fauci files. And it shows the tweets that Elon Musk put out. My pronouns are prosecute stroke Fauci. And Dave Lee replies... Will this be explained in a new Twitter files part? Elon replied, yes. Gunter Eagleman uh, joined in. Elon, serious question. Do you regret getting the COVID vaccine? Elon replied, first one was fine, but the booster knocked me flat for days. Way worse than when I got original COVID-19 and was unvaccinated. And then the Hodge twins uh, tweeted, so the FDA finally came out and said that Pfizer's COVID shot causes blood clots only two years late. And Elon replied with an emoji and said, much will come to light as Fauci loses power. And Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, also tweets, Fauci purchased Omerta among virologists globally with a total of $37 billion in annual payoffs in research grants. With the paymaster gone, the orthodoxies will unravel. And I had to look up what Omerta means. And it's a mafia term. So I learnt about, you know, keeping quiet, keeping things quiet. So he bought them off, basically. And Elon replies precisely. I'm just going to jump to the end now as I'm running out of time. Uh, it says, and when Elon Musk drops the Fauci files and the normies on Twitter see the stone cold black and white documentary evidence of what Fauci and his evil crew did to them while working hand in glove with Twitter's old regime, you are going to see a very real wave of national anger quite unlike anything else this nation has ever experienced in the modern age. These people will not be able to walk down the street. They will instantly become national pariahs overnight. All we are waiting for now is for Elon Musk to follow through. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, Dr. Fauci. I just want to quickly cover the January 6th um, Unselect Committee. They had a final presentation. I think it was at the beginning of the week. I couldn't watch it. I can't watch those people. But they basically decided to refer criminal charges uh, against Trump to the DOJ and make it into more of a sham. Incidentally, and I don't have time to cover this in full, but there have been emails and texts released that show Pelosi's involvement in the planning of the security for January 6th, despite the fact that she lied, saying she had no involvement in that at all. So, you know, she's in trouble. Um, President Trump responded to the January 6th committee report they didn't address the election or the role of federal agents. This was yesterday. Um, he responds to the January 6th report after the Jan 6th committee comes out with a bogus report with bogus recommendations from the unconstitutional committee. President Trump wanted security and safety and he asked for it on January 6th. Unfortunately, Nancy Pelosi and the mayor of Washington, D.C. refused to honour his request. And Trump goes on to say that they haven't looked into the um, the fraudulent election. Um, they didn't take up his offer of the National Guard troops. Uh, they haven't discussed the reason why everybody went there, the election, which was a corrupt disaster. Uh, they, it wasn't an 
insurrection. There were protests that tragically got out of control, and that was largely, this is me now, the the incitement of violence by members of the Capitol Police and, of course, Antifa and BLM dressed up as um, Trump supporters. President Trump is right. The villains who should be in jail are the corrupt and criminal monsters who stole the election. But Nancy Pelosi couldn't do this because she was one of them. If the Republicans had any courage at all, they would investigate the police brutality of the January 6 prisoners in the D.C. Gulag. They would look into the individuals set up by the FBI. They would find and arrest their federal informants, the agents who hired them. The 2020 election steal is one of the darkest events in U.S. history. It must be addressed before this country can recover. So that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I hope you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show next Saturday. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. I'll be cooking turkey tomorrow for my friend. And... um, have a wonderful celebration with your family or without who knows a lot of families have split up in the last couple of years over all the covid um propaganda so i'd like to thank nancy hopkins for producing and derek condit for sponsoring cosmic reality radio and until next time stay well be safe and bye for now You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com.